welcome to the Whole Story Podcast. This podcast series is focused on inspiring sustainability in agriculture using the framework of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, also known as the SDGs. Each week, our guests are invited to share their story, highlight a particular one of the 17 goals, and leave us with some practical tips for sustainability on farms. I'm Bex Smith, founder of The Whole Story, a B Corp certified social enterprise inspiring, facilitating, and articulating holistic sustainability in agriculture. And this podcast has been brought to life in partnership with the incredible team at FMG, who are passionate about partnering with organisations like The Whole Story, so together we can support rural New Zealand. So whatever you're doing while listening to this episode, thanks for choosing us. The best way you can support our mahi is to follow and share the show on whatever app you're listening on, and I hope this episode leaves you inspired and excited about the bigger picture of sustainability in agriculture. Today on The Whole Story Podcast, I am humbled to be sitting down with a mentor and inspiration of mine, Lindy Nelson. She is the founder of AgriWomen's Development Trust, a critical farming partner alongside her husband, David, host of the Amplifying Us podcast, and now chair of Safer Farms. This episode is based around the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal number five, Gender Equality and as a true champion for women who is passionate about amplifying the connection between food, farming, women's leadership, and food insecurity, this conversation hits close to the heart. This is an emotional conversation for me, and I am left in tears as we discuss farm safety. Lindy has been instrumental to inspiring my leadership journey, and I know she will inspire you all with her conversation. Her take-home sustainability tip is simple, achievable, and something that applies to all of us, which I know you will enjoy. So stick around to the end and make sure you don't miss out. Okay, so welcome everyone. Today we have Lindy Nelson with us. And for those who don't know Lindy already, she is an incredible wahini toa within our New Zealand agricultural sector. She is a champion for women and has been a really important part of my personal leadership journey with her role in founding the AgriWomen's Development Trust and the Escalator Program. So welcome, Lindy, and thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. But what a miserable day it is, isn't it? Thunder and lightning and winter's totally arrived. So a good day to crack into talking about probably yours and my favourite subjects. Yeah, it really is a horrible day outside. We've been lucky to avoid most of the snow, but I know people out there are really experiencing some tough weather conditions. So yes, a good day to be inside recording, that's for sure. So tell us a little bit about the story of Lindy Nelson. Gosh, what do you want to know? Grew up in Plymouthton. It's just out of Wellington in a seaside sort of coastal town. Went to school in Wellington and then went on to do my nursing training. Met my husband down the Marlborough Sounds, actually, diving, and fell in love and ended up in our rural Ekerhuna 34 years ago. So the role of woman in agriculture that long ago was very different to what we have now. And I think it was my first experiences of really struggling to find where I could add value, where I fitted, what my sense of purpose was, both on farm and in our communities, which sort of led me to realising there was so much untapped potential in women. How do we create pathways where they could feel like they belonged and feel like they could contribute? So that's the very brief story. Thanks for that. And I think it's really 
important to highlight there, that struggle that you encountered and that challenge that you faced coming into the agricultural sector and that so many other women out there feel and being able to find your place within the sector. So, yeah, thank you so much for that. And not just finding your place, but actually then stretching that out to actually create place for others. Yeah, I think... In my experience of working with women leaders in New Zealand, but also around the globe, where they can really, I think, make a difference on their farms and their communities and industry, wherever they choose to leave, is is around the things that they see are not working. And there's a hell of a lot in the world right now that isn't working. So it's a big place for women to actually contribute. And so I'm so passionate about seeing what happens, not only when we get women to lead, whatever that means to them, but also seeing what happens as a result of that leadership. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of challenges and things in the world that you want to improve or create, I guess one for me is around sustainability and it's a passion of mine and an area where I'm seeing a lot of challenge at the moment. Sustainability, it's a really big word. It's pretty loaded. Mm. So what does sustainability mean to you personally, Lindy? Mm. Yeah, it's, it is a big word and everyone has an interpretation of it. And I guess sustainability right now is simply living within our planetary boundaries. And that encompasses how we treat and work with the environment for us who are food producers, the whenua, but also people. You know, how do we create that ongoing longevity and sustainability of people to address some of the big issues that we actually need to address. And I think this is where regenerative agriculture has come from because sustainability almost didn't feel like it was enough. That's such an important point about people and making sure that the people we have around us, the communities, are able to actually continue on this work because as you say it's a big challenge and it's we've got a lot of work ahead of us Mm. so we Mm. need people to be in a place where they're actually able to do that work and so it's such a big component of sustainability well they are and rural communities are incredible ecosystems that was one of the things that absolutely really blew me away when I first, you know, was introduced to both farming but people from rural communities and how interdependent they were on one another, how resilient and how adaptable they were, that if something happened, they would all come together, they'd solve a problem. And whether that was a bridge being washed away, tragedy occurring in a rural community or celebrations occurring, People knew actually how to work together. They instinctively knew the strengths of one another, who was really good at organising, who was really good at making things happen, who kind of would take the lead, who were those people in the background that made sure everyone was actually okay. And so there's an amazing story around really the strength of rural communities. And in a way, I I look at cities and people within them who are struggling to find how they work. And I think they could learn a lot from observing how rural communities actually live and work and play and survive together. I couldn't agree more. I come from an urban background as well. And I was completely blown away moving into a rural community of all the things that you have just highlighted there, Lindy. It is 
an incredible ecosystem. And yeah, I just wish that some of my urban friends could experience that. And I am so, so privileged to be able to be raising my children in this environment too, because I think it's such great role modeling for them as to how communities work together and build success as a team. Mm, it is, but those same communities can be quite tough to live in if you do not feel you can contribute. So if you don't feel like you belong, you don't have the ingredients to be successful within it, or your skills or your attributes or what you bring aren't valued, then it can be an incredibly hard place, particularly for women. And I guess that comes back to the beginning of my story, where I saw incredible talented women, but not really contributing in the way that they could. So they weren't invited into the decision-making table, whether that was on their own farms or within their communities. Yes, I agree with that. That certainly there's space to grow and improve as the rural sector and rural communities. And I think the work that you have done and that you're highlighting is actually hopefully stepping us along that way. Your first link to agriculture, was that in meeting and marrying your husband? Yep, that really was the first time I'd been onto an active working farm. So my father had a little bit of a hunting block up in Whanganui. So we would go up there a couple of times a year and shoot deer and pests and, and things. But it wasn't a functioning working farm or a community. So uh, marrying and becoming a farmer <laughs> and part of a community was my first link. Yeah. So I like to put people on the hot seat a little bit. And I was wondering if you could share with us a funny story relating to farming or agriculture. I'm sure you've encountered many in your journey so far. I actually did have a few and I talked to them over with my husband. He said, not that one, not that one, not that one. <laughs> But actually, one was quite funny, and a woman that you know really well, Dawn Sangster. So Dawn was actually the very first application we ever got to the Escalator Women program and has become an amazing director and really contributed hugely to our New Zealand agri-sector. And she's actually become a friend. So not only was she a graduate of mine, she's become a friend. And she came to visit on the farm one day and I was showing her around the farm and we were looking at the new yards we'd just bought and we'd gone up the hill and I was pointing out some plantings that we'd done and what we were doing with the stock. And she turned around to me and she said, oh, Lindy, I didn't know that you were so knowledgeable, which I just thought was great because for the last 10 years, really, I've been very little on farm and I've been out and about. And then we went to let the dogs out with one of the hunterways out and I was calling the hunterway going, come here, Tui, come on, Tui, here, 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 Tui. In any case, this dog was just running off. And my husband leaned over and said, darling, Tui died 10 years ago. <laughs> and so... Dawn was like, ah, pinged. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> the dog I was calling died 10 years ago. It really didn't make me look that relevant. Time flies when you're having fun, Lindy. Absolutely. So we've touched on it briefly and the challenges you faced and what sort of was part of the motivation to founding the AWDT. But I wonder if you could just dive into that a little bit more and tell us about that journey and what that looked like. Yeah, sure. So actually the motivation for the research wasn't to found an organisation. It was to find the solution because I'd been through my own pathway and my own leadership. I'd got very involved in a lot of community initiatives and become a director on a couple of different organisations 
And in that sort of time, I hadn't seen a lot of women um, really at board level or, or really stepping up into the agri-sector. There were some amazing women, don't get me wrong, but they weren't the numbers there really. And those numbers were really telling quite a bleak story. And we had programs like the Institute of Directors, Institute of Management, Dairy Women's Network, and Rural Women were up, absolutely up and going at that stage. But it felt like we weren't working in the right way to create that difference. So I thought there's something that's holding us back. So I started um, actually Masters and then realised that it was going to take five years and that at the end of it, I may not have the answers because it's, it, the Masters is so academic, it's really focused on researching in a specific type of way. And so I thought, oh, I, I haven't got five years to find this answer. So started doing the research myself and then went to Kellogg's, which really fast-tracked it in terms of meeting other people who sort of really gave me the confidence to go, yes, you're on to something. So then carried on with my research myself. And at the end, I had a really robust piece of work, which really clearly stepped out what needed to happen in order for women to be successful. So I actually took it round to the various organisations and nobody could really see the potential that I could see. And they were also going, oh, you know, but we are sort of working in this space. And so I realised I'd travelled New Zealand and I'd listened to the stories of all the women who gave me a day to just talk to them as well as run focus groups around New Zealand. And I knew the answers I had were not being represented in what we currently had as an offering in the agricultural sector. So it started out as a piece of work that I wanted to give someone. And I realised that awful moment when you realise you have to bring something to life yourself. And that's a pretty scary moment when you think, wow, I was unknown. I didn't have the resources. I didn't even really know how to do it. Making that step was quite a big one, really, because I knew it was going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort. I knew I had the passion and energy to do it, but I doubted I had the ability or that being unknown would I get cut through. But then I sat and thought one day, I just sat on the hills and thought, what's the worst I could do? I could fail. And then we'd be no better off. And I've always been comfortable with failing. I think it's a failure if you don't learn from it, but it's not a failure if you take a step and it doesn't work out and then you can sort of regroup and go again. So, Yeah started the trust in 2010, beginning of a global financial crisis. Very, very difficult time. But we launched out of parliament and I think that gave us a really good springboard basis. And those first women, Bex, who came on our escalator program, went on to really create the pathway and the role modelling for all the other women who followed. When I left the organisation, we'd put around 5,000 women through our programs and had offered a whole range of different programs. The success of the trust has always been about the success of the women who have come to find their why, how they, you know, where they want to lead and get that support from other women. Wow, there's just so much in that, so many pearls of wisdom on that journey. Thank you, Lindy. I just want to unpack a little bit there was that so much resonates in that role modeling that you did by actually that realization that you had to go alone and that you knew that conviction that you knew had something of value to give mm. and that you 
you know, you had to do it yourself and you had to be comfortable with what's the worst that could happen. Failure is not, you have to be comfortable that it is, what's the acronym, first attempt in learning, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. But it is, it's really hard because when you, what we were doing, which I didn't really understand then, I do now, was creating a movement people want you they want to see you because they pick up your energy they pick up your passion and I had the knowledge so I had the three things I had passion energy and knowledge as someone once said to me a very hard woman to say no to and I think that's probably true but it is an uncomfortable place being that one that is very very visible and then human nature is such that if you're visible and you start to get accolades then sometimes it's hard you know people can be highly critical but I was really lucky in the fact that what we were doing was about women it actually wasn't about me even though that's been leveled at me at times which really grinds my gears it was actually about other women and the success of other women for the success of food production in New Zealand and I think they are two very powerful powerful links And then as you're developing an organization, there are times when you have to really step right back and let other people develop their talent. And so that was a journey in itself. Initially, it was me, and then I developed a core team of facilitators, and then we developed a wider team. I think we had about 34 that I developed and trained by the time I left the organization. Then you're actually building an organization, you're building the funding structures. So yeah. It is a lot. And of course, you have to do it with a team of people. And I really believe you actually learn leadership from those around you because they tell you whether you're doing well or really, really whether you're doing shit. And (laughs) your job as a leader is to be really responsive to that. And you can make some terrible mistakes and apologies go a long way. Yeah. And I really want to reflect as well on that. When you say that initial group and that team you built, but also that initial group of women that came through and were such wonderful, still are such wonderful champions for the trust yeah. and the work. It's a culture that was created and yeah. the culture that lives on. And it's that really, that hard mahi at the start that you did and your team around you has built this culture that has continued and developed a momentum of its own. It's interesting you pick that up because that was really important to me. And that culture, the development of that culture came through the research. So it was really clear on how we had to be with women to enable them to have success. And really early on the board put a bit of pressure on me to go out and get the funding, get the funding, get the funding. And I said, we've got to get the culture. We get the culture, the funding is going to come. And that is something I absolutely believe in. And I see my work now is really all in that leadership and culture space and helping organisations understand how to develop that culture and that leadership. I am a firm believer that culture drives the success of an organisation. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. Culture is just so, so important for every facet. So the work I'm doing with the whole story and this podcast series actually Mm. is based around the framework of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And this episode in particular is focused on goal number five, which is gender equality. And if we expand on that, it's really about achieving gender equality and empowering all women and girls. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit deeper. And, you know, let's start right back at the start. Why is gender equality so important in the New Zealand agricultural sector? 
<laughs> and this makes me laugh. Maybe this is going to be your funny story because when I started out, I know this is going to be a bit, this might be a mic drop moment. I probably didn't see it like that. What I saw it as was the untapped potential that woman had to bring to some of our really sticky problems. And I remember being interviewed on Catherine Ryan. She called me the rural feminist. And, and I got on her program and said, oh, I am not a feminist. And Teresa Gatting, who you know is a really good friend of mine, was listening to the radio. And she rang me up afterwards and, and really gave me an earful <laughs> because I didn't really see myself as a feminist or really thinking about gender equality. I guess the work I do is actually about that. But those words, they didn't resonate with me. The word empower did. You know, if we can empower women to find and use the way that they thought and led in their life experiences to help solve or bring balance to some of the issues that we had in agriculture, we would be so much more successful. And if you empower women, by default, you will empower girls and you will empower families. And that's a global phenomenon that is known. If you give women skills, tools and education, by default, you will be giving it to their family and their family will become successful. So probably not the answer, Bex, that you were actually looking for. It's really interesting. And I think what it highlighted to me, which is a really important point that I want to try and get across with some of the work I'm doing, is if you initially just look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, there's 17 of them, and mm. their headings are quite brief. What I'd invite people to do is to unpack those a little bit and do a bit more reading around them. Because as you say, that term gender equality didn't initially resonate with you, but the word empower, and if you'd mm. read more into that word empower or woman and girls, really evokes an emotional response and purpose. And I mm. think if people dig into the targets that underlie each goal, there's mm. quite a lot that will actually highlight some challenges people want to address and some areas in which the, they feel they can contribute. So I guess for me, that was actually an ideal way of framing it because what you unpacked there was the need to dig deeper and find meaning in this framework. Absolutely. And if they had called it gender balance, because I think there's about six or seven that sort of sit under that, and probably the one that would resonate most with me would be 5.5, which is ensure women's full and effective participation and equal opportunities for leadership at all levels of decision-making in political, economic, and public life. So that's the one that deeply resonated with me. Yes, I, I read it and I did think to myself, a lot of your life's work thus far has actually worked towards that target. Interesting that you felt the same resonation with that. But it's interesting because if you look at 5.1, which is end all forms of discrimination against all women and girls everywhere, it was probably that sense of discrimination when I first arrived in, in rural Ikarahona. So it was that sense of actually really being judged, not feeling like I had the right skills, that probably then led me to realise that actually things weren't equal and that if we had women's participation in decision-making, things would change. So I think you have to experience one of those uh, things that Goal 5 is trying to bring to life 
in order to activate the other one. I found that in talking to women all around the world, the thing that they have experienced, sometimes that even breaks their heart or where they see discrimination, where they see things are unfair, that is the area that they will move into. And if you think of all of those goals, probably the one that I've worked the most in outside of working for the Agri-Women's Development Trust is is that no poverty, which still links back into gender equality through the work and bringing CEO into New Zealand. I now realise that if we can fund woman-led businesses, then those businesses have an effect right across the sustainable development goals spectrum. Let's dig a little bit deeper there. I really want to challenge our audience and this conversation a little bit around why do you think that discrimination against women sits in our rural sector? I think it sits so much less now. In the last 15 years, we've seen enormous changes. I don't know if I would call it discrimination now. There will always be people who are threatened by how women work. And I really think it comes down to that. If you are feeling completely comfortable as a woman in your strengths and your skills and how you might bring those to life, it's going to look different to maybe how your male colleague looks. And so say you're under decision-making table. Your life experiences mean, because really diversity of thought is diversity of experiences, mean it's going to be a bit grating because someone hasn't got the view you've got. And so whether it's discrimination or whether we're just not comfortable with difference, um, I think that is more the key now, Bex, is how do we get comfortable with difference and how do we see the value in difference? And if I think about what is happening right now in our rural communities, there is so much fear out there. And when people fear and, and it feels like a threat, they do one or three things. They they bury their heads in the sand, kind of freeze. They don't know what to do about it. They armour up and they fight or they flee. And what we are experiencing within the agricultural sector at the moment is a big division. We're seeing some real armouring up behaviour. We're seeing that against our own agricultural organisations. There is a lot of criticism about them within our own communities. I think discrimination has almost merged into threat behaviours and there's a lot to feel threatened about. We have some huge massive tasks ahead of us and we are all trying to coordinate that in our own way. And our way, and particularly women's way of doing things, is may not feel simplistic enough for some of our men. The way I see women work around the world is building solid relationships. They are much better at looking at <laughs> the whole story. <laughs> and they appear to be slower in activating for a result. But in fact, they're not. They have a longer time frame that they're activating for results and they're usually bringing women with them. Whereas some of our traditional agri-sector men, they've worked in that very simple framework. You do this and this occurs. 
but none of the problems we are experiencing now around environment, around climate, around water, around land use, around carbon, none of those things are simple equations. And so this is where women need to bring their skills to the fore. And that is threatening for some people. Is that a really long-winded answer? It was a wonderful answer, though. So, yeah, thank you, because it really explained a lot around why we have seen what we've seen and why we continue to see some of those things occur. A wonderful segue into the next question, which is around what do you see as the biggest challenge to New Zealand's agricultural sector at the moment regarding sustainability? And how would you flip the script on that and turn it into an opportunity? (laughs) This is probably the passion I'm in at the moment. So 18 months ago, I became chair of an organisation called Safer Farms. When I sat in that seat and looked at what the organisation aspired to do, what we were able to do, it became very, very clear that we needed a big sort of strategy, which the board had already started to sort of work on. That strategy really around harm is what I spent my last 18 months looking at. To me, if we look at the biggest problem around sustainability in our sector, it's about people. So if we don't have people that are well and healthy and thriving, then we can't achieve the next level, which is around environment and water and carbon and and how we produce food. They're the next level down. But without people, that's not going to happen. And so the biggest threat I see is how do we make people who work in our sector, how do we make them thrive and how do we keep them safe? Because the unspoken thing that we're not talking about is the deaths, the suicides, the crippling, the maiming and the poisoning that is happening in agriculture, in the production of food. And nobody really wants to talk about that. So to me, that's the biggest challenge. You're speaking to my heart there, Lindy. It really is all about the people in our sector and how can we keep them safe. One of our biggest challenges is when we think of health, safety and wellbeing, we always think of it from an employer to an employee scenario. But so many people who farm are sole operators. And so we have to create something where they put themselves before task And so it's not even about leading others. It's how do we value ourselves and realise the contribution that we have, not only to food production, but to New Zealand. So how do we actually flip that script so farmers can see that they must prioritise their self-care over any task that needs to be done, how they get home safely, how they get home without the sore backs, the sore knees, how we stop these fantastic farmers going into retirement carrying injuries that they shouldn't carry. And so that is the challenge. How do we get people to prioritise themselves and deeply care for their own well-being? Yeah, it's a really important mission and it resonates so strongly with me. I'm, I'm quite emotionally moved by that. Well, it's really interesting because we go back and we have a look at some of those sustainable development goals and we think no poverty, quality education, gender equality, and we think of clothing that we have and Bangladesh workers. We all care deeply that Bangladesh workers are not harmed and have good working conditions and can go home and are paid well um, and educate their children for the clothes that we wear. Do we feel the same way about our farmers who produce food? I think we don't. I don't think consumers care enough. And in fact, consumers have been highly critical of farmers and how they produce food. And so 
there's a lot to change. <laughs> there is a lot. It's good that we've got amazing leadership within our sector to bring us further along that journey of change. I just want to go back to the goals themselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. We've talked about a couple of different goals today, but I really want to know out of those goals, which one of them aligns to you most personally? Is it the ones we've mentioned already or is there something from left field that really resonates the strongest with you? Really life on land. If we don't have life on land, (laughs) we stop living as human beings. And so we have to get that right. We have to get that balancing act between the needs we have of Papatuanaku and the needs that we have to give back to her. I do see Mother Earth as a kind of a feminine being in a way. And so I think if we if we thought of anything <laughs> and we thought about our care of the land, how do you want to treat your mother? <laughs> I think it comes down to that. If you treat the land like you treat your mother, I think we'll all get it right. That's such a beautiful way of looking at it because Papatuanuku and our Mother Earth and the guardianship we have over the land we live and work on, it's so important that we get that right because without that, we are nothing. Um, Guardianship of the land or guardianship of her, do you know? Because the land is so much more than just physical it's more than physical dirt, isn't it? Every farmer gets that. They won't talk about it as spirituality, but they'll talk about feeling that connection. So I think if we think of it as an entity rather than a piece of dirt that we have to fiddle with, we will get it right. And I think in New Zealand, one of the things that we're incredibly privileged to have is the knowledge of our Maori communities and their relationships to the earth and their practices, which I think hold us in really good stead going into the future. I agree. We're so, so fortunate for that, just that greater knowledge and that greater resonance and connection. It's spiritual. It's, it is definitely a, it's greater than us. It's greater than just an, a tangible item. Um, it's, yeah, no, that, that definitely will, we will get it right if we start, as you say, start seeing the bigger picture here and start seeing that bigger story. Your work, Lindy, has been so incredibly impactful to date and your work you're currently doing with Safer Farms is incredible. But is there something else on the horizon? What's next for Lindy? (laughs) I know. I always get asked this and I really struggle with it because if I am doing something, I am giving my whole energy to that task that I'm doing and so I'm not really kind of thinking of what is the next thing I'm I'm really thinking about how do I create success for what is in front of me right now and so try to be really meaningful about that and then as the success arises I think you naturally well I do I start to look and think how do I pass this on How do we get longevity out of what it is they're working on? How does it become sustainable? And it's really only then that I probably start to go, what is that next thing? Where do I put my my energy and my talent into? And I'm not there yet because (laughs) this mission that I'm on now feels, it, it feels we're at the really heavy end of it. We're at the sort of trying to bring it to life, trying to really reframe for our sector, what health, safety and well-being is. So it's going to be a massive job. By then I'll be an old lady. And so maybe I'll just be able to sit under a tree and read books and, and dream. 
that's just so beautiful. And I think what you've highlighted there is a real important need of presence and that being where your feet are while you're in the hard work and the mission and bringing it to light and then recognizing that point of succession and that point of when you pass the baton and then lift your eyes up onto the horizon as to what's next. So, yeah, a really, really um, powerful imagery evoked there about how you journey through missions in life. So to end our discussion today, I'd really like to bring this back to a practical and tangible outcome for people. So what is one take-home action that farming businesses can take to contribute to sustainability in their own world? Develop relationships with their local iwi. And that's not a glib statement. When we build relationships with people who have the same aspirations around the land that we do and when we unite as communities that's when we'll get sustainability at the moment far too many people who live and work in agriculture do not have the right relationship with Māori they don't even know who is in their own communities doing things so if there was one thing that I would ask farmers to do is Find out who and what your local iwi are and pop in and have a cup of tea. Take them some kai, sit down and work together. Thank you, Lindy. That's such a beautiful suggestion and one that I see is so relevant and important to where we are. Lindy, you've been so generous with your time today and you've really highlighted some really, really powerful messages for people, I think, listening, but also given us some beautiful pearls of wisdom to take away. So I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day and rest of your week. And yeah, just thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you, Bex. It's fantastic to see your journey and where you're going and the influence that you're having. That actually brings huge joy to me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Whole Story Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it and are feeling inspired and optimistic about putting sustainability into practice on farm. I have one last request for you before you go. Make sure whatever platform you're listening to us on that you hit follow and share the show or episodes with your friends so that together we can grow our community and inspire sustainability and agriculture in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And thanks again to FMG for partnering with The Whole Story so that we could bring this podcast to life for you all to enjoy. Catch you next time.